Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
presence of God so strong this morning. I feel like we just need to take time and sit at his feet. If you need to come to the altar just to spend time, just sit at his feet. Let him minister to you this morning. If there's something you need to lay down, feet. He's here. He wants to pour out his spirit upon us. Pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath. 
Turn to your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. We kicked off the DNA series last week, and that's what we're calling this series. is is meant to remind us of who we are as a church, right? Every person is made with a unique DNA. We're we're different. We, We don't try to be somebody else. We try to be who God called us to be. And that's the same thing with a church. Every church is a little bit different. Even, even in the Nazarene denominations, we're all a little bit different, and he calls us in different ways because our, our societies are different. Our communities are different that we're a part of. Our, our community struggles, right, with, with opioids and, 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 and things like that. And so we're called to be uniquely gifted to reach out in those spaces and to help out and to, to join in with what God is doing. But I want to remind us of who we are. Who is the Willard Naz, right? Last week we, we said we need to be the branch. We, we tried to be the vine, but we failed and we brought God's judgment. But praise God, Jesus came. The true vine came, right? And he said, he'll be the vine, and we just need to be connected to him. So the first, the first message that we had to have for the first of the year is just that reminder of our position. We have to be the branch and stay connected to him. Everything flows out of that. This week we want to look at Luke seven thirty six through 50. It's a story of a woman and a Pharisee. And through it, um, God calls us to a position. To a, a, a posture, I'm sorry, a posture. Last week, position. This week, posture. God calls us to empty the jar. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Luke 7, beginning at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. 
a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume as she stood before him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, may we be a church that hangs on every word. May we be a church that not only listens to your word, but applies your word and does your word. Lord, speak to us. Soften our hearts. Open our eyes. Open our ears to what you would have for us today. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, I'm going through the tissues. Every morning, uh, President Harry S. Truman would have a staff meeting at 8.30 a.m. One day, the mail clerk brought him in this envelope. It was a a very regal-looking envelope, purple with uh, sealed wax on there, ribbons and everything like that. And opening it, he, he found a letter from the king of Saudi Arabia whose salutation began, Your Magnificence. Your Magnificence, Truman repeated laughing. I like that. He said to his staff, I don't know what you guys call me when I'm not here, but it, it's okay if you refer to me from now on, now on as his magnificence. <laughs> Sometime after, Truman sent a message to the United Nations supporting the admission of 100,000 Jews into Palestine. Soon afterward, he received a second letter from the king of Saudi Arabia. And this one just began, Dear Mr. President. Last week, we looked at position. What's your position? Like I said, we must be the branch. Make that your goal for this coming year, to be the branch, to to be at his feet, to be in his word, 
to be in that relationship, unhurried time with him, right? has to start there. This week I said we want to look at posture. What's your posture like before Jesus? This king, when he looked at this president and this relationship and what it might mean for him was, was all set to say his magnificence, right? But then when Truman did what he did and he saw he wasn't going to get what he wanted to get, he changed his tune and he just went to Mr. President. What's your posture before Jesus. We have to. We have to, as the Willard Naz, be people that stoop low, who bow before him, right? We have to be people who choose to empty the jar. In this story and in this time period, it was customary to greet somebody of equal social standing with a kiss. That's what you would do, a kiss on the cheek. If, if they were above you in station, right, if there was somebody to be uh, well-honored or well-respected, you would only kiss their hand. In reading this story, we notice that Simon, the Pharisee, does neither of these. It's not because he doesn't know, right? He's a rabbi. He knows all the customs. Not doing this would be like inviting somebody over to dinner and then you don't greet them when, they, when you open the door to them. You just let them come in. It was also a custom at this time to wash the person's feet. Um, actually, it was more than customary. It was mandatory that the, the guest's feet would be washed. If the host wanted to really honor the person, they would do it themselves. Uh, at least, though, at very least, they would have a servant do it I guess at, at very least they'd provide a, a basin and a towel and you could do it yourselves. Simon doesn't do any of this. And Jesus' feet remained dirty. Also at this time, if, it was, if you wanted to honor someone, you could anoint their head with a little bit of olive oil. It was something cheap that you could afford. And if you would imagine walking some distance in that hot Palestinian sun, right? That burning sun. This pouring of oil would be a great refreshment, a great comfort. It was a, a way to bless someone. But we see Simon doesn't do this either. So we see Jesus is invited to this man's house, this Pharisee, and he's indifferent, probably, possibly even rude to him. He doesn't do any of the customary things that he should. And the question comes to my mind, why? Why did Simon even bother to invite Jesus over if he was just going to treat him this way? Maybe the, the Pharisee was like the other religious leaders at this time period with Jesus, right? Uh, they weren't quite sure what to make of him. Interesting words. Seems like he spoke with authority. We, we hear or maybe we see the signs and the wonders, right? And they must have been interested to see who this man was. On the other hand, though, they'd have to be careful. Everything that would happen would be reported back to the other religious leaders. So how you interacted with Jesus could get you into trouble. So maybe he was being cautious because he was worried about people looking at him. I think maybe Simon was just checking the box. That's, that's my guess. He was the ranking religious leader, and it was his job to invite the other rabbis, the other visiting teachers, the visiting leaders over to his home for a meal. That's what he's doing here with Jesus. It was therefore Simon's obligation to invite him over and feed him. All right, Jesus, you can come over to my house, 
right? Box checked. It's all the religious responsibility. That's the posture he might have been taking. And, and here's the thing with us today. Some of you might be here for that very reason. Maybe there's pressure on you to be here. Maybe a parent making you, maybe a spouse making you, maybe you spent the night at some kid's house and you have to come or you were made to come. Maybe uh, it's just how you were raised. It's just the expectation that you have, the obligation that you have. I don't know. Maybe you're like Simon, though, and I don't think Simon really cared whether or not Jesus was over. Instead, he's just doing it because he feels like he's supposed to. Think about the irony of this, though, right? Simon, Pharisee, studying God's Word his whole entire life. By the age of 12, he memorized the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? He can quote those by a heart. As a kid, if he went on, as he went on and kept studying by the age of 15, he had the whole Old Testament memorized. The Old Testament has 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah. 300 prophet, prophecies that point to Jesus. He's got those memorized. He has those memorized. And the thing is, he doesn't connect the dots. He spent his life studying and learning about the Messiah, and now the Messiah sits in front of him at this table with feet that haven't been washed, right? With a cheek that hasn't been kissed and a head that hasn't been anointed. That happened in Simon's house. And the sad thing is that sometimes that can happen in a house like this, right? Religion does that. Sometimes people come in and they know a lot about the Bible. They can play Bible trivia and do quite well, right? But they don't know Jesus. They haven't experienced him. That's Simon. He's just sitting at the table across from the Messiah and doesn't even realize it. But on this scene comes this woman in verse 37. How does the, how does the verse describe her? She's a sinner, someone who has lived a sinful life. Verse 47, has, and has apparently sinned many times. A popular opinion was that she might have been a prostitute. Now think about this. She walks into this dinner party of religious leaders and everyone knows who she is. The tension in the room would have been incredible. Different culture back then. I don't know if we can really understand or grasp what it would have been like for this to happen. Like some of the people would have probably glared at her. Right? What in the world is she doing here? Other people would have just looked down. They, they probably would have been embarrassed for her, embarrassed for Simon and just the awkwardness of this situation. Could we just imagine for a second, though, what it would have been like to, to be her? Knowing how everybody is looking at you, how incredibly hard, how incredibly embarrassing that must have been to be there. But she finds herself at the feet of Jesus. Here's a woman that would not have been allowed in the synagogue. She's not welcome at church, right? I'm guessing Jesus was teaching somewhere else. And she was in that crowd, and his message must have had a huge impact on her life. Maybe she heard the story of the prodigal son. How the father, right, 
is looking for his sons to come to him. I'm guessing that Jesus looked at her like no one else ever had. I'm talking about a look of grace instead of a look of condemnation. And it wrecked her life. It turned it upside down in a good way. So much so that it gives her a boldness. Right? Do you see the boldness here? To come uninvited. She walks into this room and she knows how people are looking at her, but it doesn't stop her. She's totally undone by his love and by his grace. And as she stands behind him, remembering his words of repentance, his words of forgiveness, his words of reconciliation, the pleading that he made for all those who are weary, right, to come and find rest. With that on our mind, tears rise up into her eyes and they begin dripping off of her cheeks. She's fallen at, this, at his feet at this moment and the tears start landing there on his feet. And she notices something, right? As those tears land, she can see streaks and she realizes nobody has washed his feet. She knows she can't ask for a towel There's no way anyone would give her a a towel, so she lets down her hair. There would have been literally an audible gasp in the room when she did this. This wasn't something that you did in this culture. In fact, for a woman to let down her hair in front of a man who wasn't her husband was considered such an intimate expression that it was actually grounds for divorce. Understand this. She uses the most elegant part of her body to clean the most disgusting part of his. Do you see the posture that she takes? Everyone is expecting Jesus, this religious leader, to say something. Woman, what are you doing, right? You know this is inappropriate. Stop it. But nothing. She has a jar of perfume around her neck. It's an alabaster jar. It's expensive. It's really expensive. It's like a a year's wages for a normal person. If she is a prostitute, it was something that was necessary for her profession, and she would use it one drop at a time. She takes this jar, and she probably came just intending to just anoint his head with it, with some of it. But at this point, he's wrecked her life. He's turned it upside down. She's at his feet. The grace extended to her leads her to just pour it all out on his feet. The entire jar. Can you imagine the fragrance that would have filled this place? Let's think more about this jar, right? This jar represents so much. Obviously, it's expensive and valuable, She could have just poured a little bit out, right? She could have sold the rest. She didn't have to do this act. If she was indeed a prostitute, then it represented her life. It's her livelihood. It's what she would put her trust in, right? What will she do now? It's even more than that. It represents her identity. And when she pours it out, she's really surrendering everything. My friends, that's the posture that we need to have before Jesus. That's the posture we will have when we truly understand his grace and his forgiveness 
a posture that is willing to surrender every area of our life, our identity, our livelihood, what we look to for completeness, what we look to for fulfillment, what we think we need to have, right? By doing this, she's quitting her job. There's no going back. She's laying it all down. She's humbling herself. She's sacrificing much wealth. She empties the jar. Not a portion, right? She empties the entire thing. I think it's easy for us to just empty a a portion, pour a little bit out, but save the rest, right? Do something else with the rest. Have that rest as a little nest egg so that we can remain comfortable. We can, unfortunately, hold on to that little thing that we depend on and put our trust in. Not her, though. She empties the jar. Was it reckless? Yes, it was reckless. Was it impulsive? I think so. I don't think she came to do this. I don't think she came to wipe her, his feet with her hair and then do that. I don't think this was the plan. But in repentance, right, she was led to surrender everything in a posture of worship. Was it inappropriately? Was it inappropriate? Yeah, definitely, totally. It would have offended the religious people in the room. Did it touch Jesus? Yeah, right? I believe it did. And so the question that I want us to wrestle with here is, when is the last time you've had a moment like this with Jesus where you poured out the jar in a posture of complete worship? for no other reason than gratitude. When's the last time that the love and grace of Jesus moved you so much that you had tears flowing and you fell at his feet and it wrecked you? When's the last time that you were so amazed by God's grace in your life that you were totally overwhelmed? And when's the last time that you responded to that grace? out of the overflow of his grace by emptying the jar. Do you remember those times? Emptying the jar is when you say to Jesus, everything I have is yours. I'm not going to talk about my gifts, my home, my money, my talents. It's not mine. It all belongs to you. Whatever you want me to do with it, just ask, right? Emptying the jars when you surrender in such a way that it makes other people a little worried, right? Maybe they think uh, this person's taking the whole Christian thing a little too far. Whoa, 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 slow down there. Don't be radical, right? I was listening to a pastor talking about this couple that came in to see him, younger couple with a one-year-old child. They had been living in an apartment, saving their money up for years and years and years for a down payment on a house. They'd saved up enough at this point, and they were ready to go ahead with that purchase. And the pastor's like, that's awesome, great job, way to go. And they respond, well, actually, a few weeks ago after your sermon, we felt led to give that money away towards that mission that you were talking about. And we wanted to talk to you about what could be done. That pastor said he was pretty embarrassed because when they said that, he immediately started to get ready to talk them out of doing it. Kind of put on his dad hat 
and was going to explain to them that it was okay for them not to do that. It was the responsible thing to go ahead and purchase that house, right? They had this young kid, and it would be a good financial move. They've worked hard. They deserve this, right? Think about what you can do with your home and how you could use it to serve other people. He said then the Holy Spirit did what the Holy Spirit often does. It shut him up. The Holy Spirit reminded him, have you ever regretted giving and sacrificing to what I've called you to give and sacrifice to? Do you really think at the end of their lives they're going to resent making an eternal difference in other people's lives? Do you think they're going to regret storing up treasure in heaven? I know there are some of you hearing that story and you feel a little bit of tension here, right? Like maybe you understand, but at the same time, maybe you're thinking they're taking this or they took this a little bit too far and they're going to regret it. Maybe you even feel sorry for them. My friends, don't feel sorry for them. Feel sorry for the one with a lot in their bank account who puts all their hope and trust in that instead of Jesus Christ. Feel sorry for the one that God calls to give, to sacrifice, and doesn't, and just stores up wealth that is going to rust. Don't feel sorry for these young people. Feel sorry for the person that puts all their trust in the things of this world. I've counseled people on giving and following on what God is calling them to do. Every time I do, I have that first response that's practical. I start to get nervous for them. I start to think, what's the prudent thing to do? I I listen to a lot of uh, money matters and shows like that and understand those things, but I always come back to follow what God tells you to do. Trust in him, right? I know what his word says. God has always been faithful to me to provide in miraculous ways when I've taken those leaps of faith that he's called me to with giving or with serving. Always. I've always come back better off because I've grown in that relationship and through those times with him. The times have been hard. The times have been times of sacrifice, right? But I've experienced God providing for me. I've experienced his faithfulness. I've experienced him making a way. And it's always drawn me closer. My friends, it's natural to want to hang on to what's in the jar, to hang on to it, to just pour a little bit out. Everyone will tell you around you, don't pour it all out, right? People will think you're too radical. But pour it out if God calls you to it. Because he's got something far better for you. Whatever that means for you, right? Pouring out the jar could mean forgiving someone. He might want to forgive them a little bit. Pour it all out, though. Empty the jar. Emptying the jar is not just about money. It's really about worship, a posture where we bow down. Not necessarily physically, but we bow down our will to his will. It's about laying down your pride, right? your life in an act of worship to a God who pours out his grace on you. It's simply a response to that grace. 
In verse 39, it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, when he had saw everything that happened, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. How do you see people? A preacher named Tony Campala was teaching a college class, and there was this time where one of his Jewish students commented that Jesus never met a prostitute. And he said he jumped at the opening. Here was his chance to, to teach this Jewish boy something about. So he started opening up his New Testament. And he's like, yes, he did. And I'll show you in my Bible. And, and the young man interrupt, interrupted him. And he said, you didn't hear me. Jesus never met a prostitute. Once again, Tony protested. Yeah. And he started to tell him about this story. And the young man, again, this time with a raised voice, said, Jesus never met a prostitute. Tony got it right? How do you see people? How do we see different people around us? Simon saw a prostitute. Jesus saw a woman, a daughter. How we see people flows from how we see ourselves. That's why Jesus shares the story of the two people that owed money. One owed a lot, one owed a little. The interesting thing is that they both couldn't pay their debts. Simon didn't get it. And here's why. Because the one who is forgiven much loves much, and the one who is forgiven little loves little. She had been forgiven a lot, and she knew it, and she recognized it. The challenge for Simon isn't that he didn't have a lot to be forgiven. It's that he didn't realize he had a lot that needed forgiven. He didn't realize that his self-righteousness made God want to vomit. As we wrestle with the story, we should ask ourselves, who am I in the story? Or, or maybe even better, a better question is, who do I want to be? You see, I think a lot of us would say the woman. But in reality, it's Simon, right? We're trying to have good manners. We want to be well thought of in social circles, right? We want to appear to be religious. We want to have our act together. A little Jesus is is nice. A little Jesus is okay, right? But he's not everything. We don't empty the jar for him. We, We pour out a little bit so that we can have just enough Jesus in our lives. That's the life we think we want. Jesus in moderation. Don't seek out what God wants you to do or to give. Just do or give what you're comfortable with, right? I think we all know, though, that the right answer is we need to be like this woman. But my friends, there's no way to be like this woman unless you take a posture where you bow down before him with everything, right? There's no way to be like this woman unless you surrender everything, to him. There's no way to be like this woman unless you let go of what other people think of you, even those other religious people, right? So, church, if you are not worshiping in a way that overflows from our hearts, if we don't worship in a way that's marked with joy and gratitude because of what Jesus did for us, then we're missing the point, right? 
If we just come here and we sing some songs and check some boxes and I made my appearance and we leave and we really don't get what God has done for us. If we aren't living in a way that's sacrificial and extravagant and looks a little bit radical, right? That means we really just don't get it. We don't understand the forgiveness, the grace that's been shown to us. We don't get it that this isn't all there is, that there's an eternity that we need to live for, right? Empty your jar at the feet of Jesus. Whatever that means for you, whatever he's calling you to do, lay it down. Surrender it all. It might be worry that you need to empty the jar of. Quit holding on to that. Surrender that to him. Whatever it is. My friends, there is freedom to be found. Don't you want that? Don't you want to experience the riches of God? Don't you want to be free from what other people think of you? Would you stand with me? My friends, let's be the church that empties the jar. Be the branch. Empty the jar. Can I, can I be honest with you? I miss the times where I was just scraping by. I miss those times because I had to depend on him. And I was close to him. And he was doing crazy things to meet needs and to make ways. It's easy to get comfortable. We need to surrender everything, though. When God calls us to do something, right, and it scares us to death, and how are we going to do it, and we're not the right person to do it, and I don't even understand how it's going to work out, and I can't see a way forward and how it's going to do it, pour the jar out. Pour your pride out. Surrender your life to him and just go with it. Man, I want to be a, I want to be a church that, where we all empty the jars and surrender our lives completely to him. I want, to, I want us to live there. I want us as a church for God to call to do crazy things that don't make sense. And we're not sure how we're going to fund it. We're not sure who the people are going to lead it. But we just say yes. And join in with what he's doing. And allow him to take care of all the details. I, I want it, us to be a church that makes other religious people nervous. Or maybe they think we're a little bit inappropriate. Or maybe we just make them feel uncomfortable. I want that for you. In a good way, not in a bad way. I want you to go to God and say, Lord, what do you want from me? What are you doing? What can I join in with that you're doing? Right? That's my challenge for you. Find out what he's doing. Ask him to invite you into that. And when he does, and when you're scared, and you don't, you think you're the wrong person for it, just go with it. Surrender everything. Surrender your fear and go with it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, may we be a church that 
recognizes you as the true vine and lives in that position that's connected to you. And Father, in that position, may we have a posture of that's down on our knees in worship and surrender, Lord. Father, call us. I pray that during the next 21 days, you would call each and every person that's seeking out to you. Lord, I pray anybody that's not, you would call them as well, and they would surrender, and they would bow down in worship to you. Father, if there's anybody who doesn't know you, who doesn't know this grace that this woman, this sinful woman experienced, Lord, I pray that they would know that there is a God who loved them, God who came down and died for them so that they could have their relationship with you restored. Father, we know we're the ones who rejected you, but it doesn't end there. You came so that we, so that our relationship could be restored. Father, I pray that you would call that person who doesn't know that to you. I pray that you would call them and say, follow me. And I pray that right here and now, they would make the decision to do exactly that. Maybe they've been running from you. Maybe they've never experienced you, but something in their heart is drawing them near. Father, I pray that they would say, I'll follow you. I'll trust you. I'll believe in you. And may it turn their lives upside down. Lord, we love you, and we give you all praise and honor. Guide us. Let us be the church that you want us to be, that you call us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.